hello, I am Lucia Giftapulu and I'm joined today by AJ Bell's Head of Active Portfolios, Ryan Hughes. Hi there. So Ryan, there has been a lot of talk about best buy lists, especially since the Woodford saga and whether they should be trusted by investors or not. So tell me, do, do you think they're worth their paper they're written on? I mean, you're absolutely right. There has been a lot of focus on them over the last six months. And I think that's actually not an unhealthy situation to be. But I do think they perform quite an important role for investors. I think it's important to remember that not all investors um, have a financial advisor, use a financial advisor, or indeed maybe can afford to go to a financial advisor. Uh, and therefore, we want to provide you know, a service to customers to help them research the huge amount of investment choices that they have. Uh, and, and I think Best Buy lists really you know, help them narrow down that, that vast choice without telling them that this is the thing or the investment you should be making. But do you think they should be considered as investment advice then? No, I mean, absolutely. they're definitely not investment advice. And, and we make that very clear uh, to our customers that it's something that's there to help support the investors' research. It's a tool in their toolkit uh, to help them narrow down. But absolutely, they should be doing their own research uh, alongside. They should be looking at a whole wealth of different types of information that are available either on our website or on the broader the broader market uh, and, and using some of the work that we've done as one input into that process. But but it's there to support them, not tell them what they should be doing. And we're very, very clear with, with investors that this is not a replacement for the advice service. So let, let's uh, look at the AJ Bell uh, Best Buy list for a bit. You took this in-house in 2018. It was managed by Square Mile before uh, yep. that did all the research. And you, we, we reported at the time that you took Woodford or the list mm-hmm. the, the minute you brought it in-house. Yep. How exactly do you go about choosing which funds will be on that list? Yeah, so we have two sides to the the uh, called the favourite funds list. There's a passive side and an active side. The passive side is mainly quant driven. There, we're looking for things like low tracking error, low cost, make sure they're tracking a suitable benchmark, and so on. All the things you would expect from a from a passive uh, review. On the active side, it's much more qualitative uh, in its approach. So, we, so when you say passive side, you mean not not passive investment in terms of ETF and trackers, but the more quantitative side of, well, of judging a fund? The, actually, the, the passive, uh, so we have a, a section of uh, ETFs uh, actually on there. So if, if an investor wants a passive investment, a pure tracker investment, mm-hmm. then there's a range there for them. And that's mainly quant driven. Where we've got actively managed funds, then that goes down a, a different approach. It's mainly qualitative in its approach. Uh, and there we look at, uh, we use what we call our 5P process. So we're, we're looking to understand investment managers' philosophy and process. Uh, we're looking to understand the people involved in that. Uh, and clearly we're looking at the price that they're paying for that. Uh, and then the final part of that is we look at the performance the performance is only ever to verify our understanding of the other uh, the other P's, the philosophy and process there. So it's absolutely not performance driven. It's much more thinking about how does the manager think, how do they behave, and who are the people involved in that. But surely performance should play some part in your decision to put a fund in the buy list. Yeah, I mean, what we're interested in is does the performance profile of the fund back up our understanding of how the manager invests? So if they say they're a value manager, 
Do they behave like a value manager? Uh, if they say they're a small cap manager, are they getting most of their return from small cap? So we can use performance to verify how we understand what a fund should be doing uh, and how the manager articulates what a fund should be doing. But what we won't do is simply say, well, that fund's done very well, uh, therefore it must be a good fund and it's for inclusion uh, in our list. And am I right to think that you look at some character traits of the fund manager before you you actually decide to take a fund and put it into your best buy list. Absolutely. Fund management, investment management, at the end of the day, even a quant process has people behind it. We want to know, we want to understand who those people are, how they think, what makes them tick, uh, how they're going to behave under pressure. So lots of softer factors. So we look at things like, uh, and we try and assess it in six different uh, ways, and it's quite hard to do because they're soft factors, but we look at things like, you know, are they are they very disciplined in their investment process? Uh, do we judge them to be tenacious? Are they self-aware? So uh, are they humble? Uh, Is that where Woodford failed? Well, I mean, yeah, we could we could talk to in detail about perhaps why we took Woodford on the list. Uh, but you know, certainly when we look at different managers, some of these character traits come out very strongly, and some of them come out less strongly. And we want to get a real understanding of the type of people that are managing the money, because it's it's at the end of the day, it comes down to people making decisions, and sometimes it goes very well for those people, and sometimes it goes badly. So, say a fund ticks all the other boxes, but the manager has a big ego. You see, you can't work with him very well or that that there might be issues down the line because of his personality or whatever is that a reason to keep somebody of this favorite fund list keep keep them off the list yes absolutely we want to understand how they perform under pressure what we don't want isn't it you know if i give you a a manager an example i won't name the manager it wouldn't be fair to them going back a long time a manager that had made 700 percent on one stock and, and and was very confident said this has got far far further to go and the next time we saw them it was down 99 percent that that is you you get these character traits where people they can't make decisions they perhaps fall into all the behavioral biases that that everyone falls into what we want is managers that understand their own weaknesses understand their strengths and have got the ability and the self-awareness to deliver on them so you, you mentioned before that performance is only one of the things you look in, into and it's not necessarily the number one factor that will determine who gets, you know, who, who's mm. mentioned in, in your best buy list or not. But how long would a fund need to perform quite badly for it to be taken off the list? Mm. I mean, so naturally, as you'd expect, we, we monitor performance all the time for these strategies. The way I always articulate this is that when we when we do our research on a manager before we use them in any of our products is we want to understand, uh, we want to give ourselves a frame of reference for performance. When should they perform well and when should they perform badly and against what benchmarks should we measure them? So it may well be that over the last couple of years we have a manager on our list and they're a value manager and they're, they're underperforming the market. Well, given that style, they should be underperforming the market. And therefore, I'm quite relaxed that they underperform the broad market because their style is totally out of favour. What I want to see is then when their style comes back into favour, that we see a pickup in that performance uh, and that they are able to exploit the style that they have, the style bias that they have, uh, effectively. Now, things like value and growth dispersion can persist for quite some time. So, so value has been having a pretty tough time for the past decade. Absolutely. But I don't think it means we shouldn't have any value managers on our 
Best Buy list. I, I think it's important uh, to, to have a broad spread of different investment styles and to help investors understand how different managers invest and, and, and yeah, really help them understand when they should do well and when they should do badly. It absolutely would be a huge mistake, I think, for us to, to take managers off when they're doing, when they're underperforming, when actually what they're doing is investing in line with their philosophy and process as we understand it. So consistency is, is more important to you than, you know, the actual returns of a fund over the past three years, if the manager's style has been out of favour, for example. Yeah, I mean, we might well build a custom benchmark for them. We might, instead of comparing them against the broad-based market, we might look at them against a value or a growth in- index to look at more specific style for them to see how they're doing. And if you take lots of value managers, then uh, and if we look at someone like Jupiter, UK Special Situations, which is on our list and certainly has had a, a tough time over the last couple of years, well, I think if we if we were just talking about behavioural characteristics. If we look at Ben Whitmore, he ticks those those boxes very, very well, incredibly self-aware, very humble, really understands his investment process, exploits it with consistency, but absolutely he's underperformed the broad market. We're very comfortable with that and think he's one of, probably one of the best managers, I think, in the UK. But for someone that you have to understand when you invest with a value manager, that the performance profile might be a little bit lumpy. So since you took the list in-house, research for it in-house in 2018. How much has it changed since you were in charge of, of seeing who's going to be mm. there and not? I think it's changed a reasonable amount. So in total, in cost, active and passive. Uh, we have 72 different funds and ETFs on the list today, and that's made up of 52 active funds today. When we took control of the list and, and Square Mile ran the active side of the list, we did the passive side in-house. We took 10 funds um, off the list straight away on day one and you've mentioned Woodford was one of those and we added 15 funds on, uh, on effectively on day one. So a reasonable amount of turnover on day one. Subsequent to that over the last 15 months we've removed a further three funds uh, from from the list for various different reasons, which we can which we can talk about uh, there. So I'd say a reasonable amount of turnover to get the list in the shape that we wanted. Uh, but importantly, we are very much long term investors, and and what we don't want to be doing, just as we're talking about, is chopping and changing the list because managers might have a period of underperformance. So wait, give me an example of a fund that was added to the list, and and why you decided to do that. Yep, um, so M&G Emerging Market Bonds would have been added to the list uh, when we took control. We didn't actually have any emerging market debt uh, options on the list and we thought that's an interesting area uh, for investors that are looking for perhaps higher yield and to diversify their fixed interest exposure away from just UK bonds or government bonds and so on. Uh, And so that's a nice natural complement to the other options that were already on the list. And uh, what about a fund that you decided to take off the list? Yeah, I think that's a good question because it really focuses in on on, on the the day job for us of keeping an eye on actively managing the list. One of the funds we've actually taken off uh, in 2019 is the Janus Henderson UK Property Fund. Uh, And that that was really done through thinking about what are the risks that exist out there in the property market. And we saw risks increasing with Brexit and we saw the potential for liquidity risk uh, to come to the whole commercial property sector. So we concluded that we didn't think that UK physical commercial property was suited to a daily traded fund. uh, And so we removed it from the list in April 
uh, of last year. There are no other property funds on the list. There are no other property funds on the list. Uh, and, you know, it's been very interesting to think how that's panned out over the, the rest of the year, to think that, you know, actually we've seen other problems come. We've seen m and There were a few gatings at the end of last year. Yeah, we've had we've had a few issues out there. And, and so this is obviously not an issue with Janice Henderson and their property team at all, but how we're managing the list from a perspective of, mm-hmm. is this asset class suited for the structure it's in today the conclusion was it was not and so we took it took it off the list mm-hmm. so uh, there are also a few aj bell funds on the list do they do you follow the same criteria when you are you a bit you know biased towards them because obviously they are run by aj bell yeah so those funds are they're, sh- they're listed on the list but they're not part of the favorite funds list uh-huh. uh, so we make clear on the website that they're there for information purposes so investors can can compare and look at those funds against what, are, what we consider to be our favourite funds, but then we don't review them as part of the favourite funds list. They are, they are very, very separate. So why do you think investors should trust this type of list? I think, I think for that, it's really important that investors understand the process that sits behind any Best Buy list, be it the AJ Bell list or, or, or anyone else's list, is do they, under, do, they, do they trust the investment process that we're following? Have the people running the list articulated how they think and how they behave and the decision-making process that they go through uh, to come up with the list? And we're very transparent about that on our website. We explain how we do it, what criteria we use, video, text, a little video on each fund explaining how it works and how it how it behaves and why we like it. So we want to be as open and transparent as we can be on everything that's going on the list, showing you what what we've changed, when we changed it, why we changed it. So it's completely transparent in, uh, in what we do. But we're also very, very clear that it should only form part of someone's research process. Uh, and I think that's that's important. And, and also, we, we absolutely recognise that... Um, that investment management uh, and and fund selection is a subjective um, it's a subjective job at the end of the day. There will be people that disagree with some of the choices we have on there. There'll be people that write in and say, "Why haven't you got this fund?" That's absolutely fine. Do people fun. do that? Absolutely, yeah. We have good good conversation with our uh, with our investors, with our with our customers who mm. are always interested in in what we're doing and what we're thinking and why why fund A over fund B. Do you personally answer those? Emails? Yeah, we do. We do. The team answers them. We want to get back to customers and be open and transparent about about why we like why we like fund. We at the end of the day, we're the people that are going and meeting the managers and making these decisions. I think it's really important that we, we are the ones that can talk to customers and articulate that. Ryan, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you very much.